0: i My friends, my warriors. This is Mary Mack of the Mary Mack Show. I'm doing a podcast series entitled Death by Fentanyl. And I wanted to invite this wonderful man. His name is Steve Wilson. He is the father of Jessica. And Jessica died of fentanyl poisoning on January 22nd, 2020. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And he had he and his wife Cherie are now raising Jessica's daughter, their granddaughter. Her name is Alara. I love that name, so unique. And he had been in the Air Force. He was a San Bernardino County Sheriff and also in the police department out in California. He was there for thirty-one years in the homicide department for eleven Homicide Squad and also in narcotics for five years. He is now the secretary of an organization called Void, Victims of Illicit Drugs. And there is a website they have called stopthevoid.org that I want you to go visit because there they have developed a wonderful um, documentary called death on dead on arrival. And it's a very powerful documentary. And you really need to go and watch this specifically to teach your children. And even younger folks to watch this so they know what's going on with fentanyl poisonings. So today I am honored to have Steve with me. And I thank you, Steve for taking the time to be with me and share your story about Jessica. Thank you for
1: having me. It's a it's a privilege and uh, to tell people about jessica she's uh, she was a beautiful young lady and uh, still in our lives every day obviously but we move forward yes do
0: you tell me about her growing up years your family life as she was young
1: sure yeah, yeah. you know jessica it's a it's not an oddity but it, it wasn't a, a typical family type of situation when i met sheree Um, and we eventually got married Uh, it came with a package and she had Jessica uh, from her first marriage and uh,
0: oh okay
1: yeah she was 18 months old at the time and uh, despised me didn't like me Uh, she was always wanted mom 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 you're
0: the uh, new person in the in her life
1: exactly but you know the, uh, the the relationship grew as as uh, most things do. She she adjusted to me. Uh, uh, finally, one day I I was able to ask her. I said, Jessica, you wanna you ready to go to the store with with Dad? Let's head on down to you know to Lucky's or wherever the heck it was. And want to go to the store with me? Well, of course I bribed her by telling her she could she could pick something out for herself and. So we went off on our first trip together going to the store, and it, that was an obstacle or a, a threshold that, that Cherie finally got to cross over, and, and things progressed from there. Uh, when Jessica was, I think she was seven years old, uh, we went through the formal adoption, and uh, uh, we did adopt uh, Jessica. Uh, she uh, she uh, changed her middle name to uh, Shelby, and uh, so she became, from that time on, uh, Jessica Shelby Filson. And uh, she was uh, she was a handful. I, you know, uh, she's she's pictured she's right behind me there with uh, a Lara up here on the wall, and over here is a, a charcoal drawing that was provided of her. And she was a very beautiful young lady,
0: yeah.
1: uh, very very intelligent, but you know she uh, experienced a lot of emo- emotional issues uh, to growing up. Uh, what they were, the the exact foundation. I don't know, I don't know if I ever had the answer and I don't know if Jessica ever had the answer, but uh, I think she, you know, like a lot of girls and things like that suffered from some self-esteem issues maybe and, and uh, you know, uh, let boys take advantage of her or whatever, but, you know, she she evolved and in her teen years, we ended up having to uh, uh, have her treated uh, at, at Loma Linda University at the Behavioral Medicine Center there for uh, for some emotional issues and things like that. And, uh, it, it seemed to help. Uh, we've got her into a, a private school. She, she graduated from Aquinas high school in San Bernardino, which is a private uh, Catholic high school. Mm-hmm. She, she had always been interested in the arts. Uh, she was a, a very accomplished, uh, artist when, you know, with, uh, with pencil and, and paints and, um, had already picked cosmetology as what she wanted to do. She wanted to be a hairstylist. Oh wow! And she also wanted to, you know, tattoos. And uh, if you if you look at a picture of Jessica wherever you find it, the first one when she was eighteen, she came home and she had a diamond that was put on her neck right here. She said, "Well, I got my first tattoo." And I thought, okay, well, that's that's not as ominous as I was expecting so (laughs) you know we can deal with that
0: we can do yeah
1: that's good jessica you know let's you know proceed slowly and you know but (laughs) i'm glad you got your first tattoo (laughs) she also started cosmetology school at that particular time and you know a year later she got her uh cosmetology license and and went into hairstyling and things such as that
0: and as did
1: uh you know her career began with cosmetology so did her artwork on her body continue and uh you can't see it but uh, i'm looking on her instagram one day and there's a uh, tattoo across her forehead right here
0: oh my goodness
1: said, yeah it said shameless and i i called Cherie, and i said uh, just please tell me that's a temporary tattoo <laughs> she says no it isn't and uh uh she um, she but Cherise said, I've done my crying, and uh, I don't know why she would do that, but I, I think the, the term shameless was, was pretty descriptive of her attitude. You know, she, she was without shame. She, she didn't really care what people thought of her. She, she would, would try to do the right thing in, in, in most areas, and so she identified that as the word that people would always see. Well, now now explain to people why the hell you'd want to put a tattoo on your forehead that's going to see it her rest of your life, but it got to a point to where you know, you know, as, as her life progressed, and, and even up until the, you know, the time of, of her passing, and even after her passing, my thought finally went to I finally realized that because her whole body, she had tattoos everywhere.
0: And, oh uh, wow!
1: And uh, I, I I finally figured out that you know her body was her canvas. And that canvas was the tattoos and whatever story those tattoos told. Uh, that was that was on her. And uh, I I wished I wouldn't have uh, complained a lot. And, and you know uh, who cares? You know that that was her her method of identification and things like that. Um, at the time of her funeral, the the pastor had asked me to describe what how would I describe Jessica? You know, in one word. And uh, I I thought for a few minutes, but the only thing I could come up with, and, and it's not meant as a de- derogatory, but she was challenging. Uh, she was very challenging, but in being challenging, I, I, you know, I think she demonstrated a certain level of independence that, you know, permitted her, you know, certain good experiences and other bad experiences of the like, you know, that, that lasted with her till her death. Uh, she had a uh, she was a drinker, you know. She uh, she loved the party, probably did it to excess a little bit too often, like a lot of people in their early 20s and not, and forward from that. And uh, she developed a, uh, a a little pill problem after the birth of Alara, because uh, during the birth she had an epidural, and apparently the epidural caused some type of uh, lower back you know, chronic pain, and how that happened, I don't know, I guess, you know, from the injection or how it's done. Yeah. Uh, it, it caused some chronic pain issues, of which they subs- prescribed her opioids, you know, and, and Norcos and, and whatever, just start off with something else, and then down to Norcos. And uh, I think that that was her, uh, the biggest obstacle that she had was the, uh, the pills. And, uh, um, you know, Moving forward to the day of her death, you know, uh, you know, I, I was at work as the uh, documentary portrays and when I would get this frantic phone call from, from Cherie who had gone to her house uh, because we hadn't heard from her. That morning, uh, she was supposed to come and we were supposed to pick her up and, and go get her car. Her car was, had a new transmission being put in it and everything, and, and she was ready. And uh, she was going to go out and pursue another, you know, she wasn't working at the time. She was, she was raising a Laura and, her, and Nicholas was doing the work, but she wanted to get back to working and, and do whatever she could do. And, uh, but she didn't show up, you know, and so seven o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. And uh, I guess mothers, you know, she'd sense it and she goes, well, she either was on a bender last night and was sleeping in with a hangover or something's wrong. So she, sure he went over there. Right. Uh, front door was locked. Went around to the side, looked in the window of her bedroom. Nobody was there. Uh, went to the side door, and the side door was unlocked. And she went inside and, uh, and found Nicholas and Jessica both dead on the uh, the couch in their living room. And uh, you know, again, she called me. Uh, you know, just you know, completely out of control, obviously. And and uh, I, I can, I I will never experience the pain that that Cherie did. You know, you know. Not that Jessica wasn't, you know, I adopted Jessica, but she, she couldn't, it was just like she's my blood. Blood means nothing. I'm adopted. And, uh, oh, wow. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, my mother and father, you know, uh, it's nurture, not nature, you know. Uh, my my mother and father, you know, raised me. I had a wonderful life and, you know, carried it on into my own personal life to, by adopting Jessica. Blood had nothing to do with it. You know, she was my daughter. Yes. You know? But for me, you know, did I experience the same level of grief that Sheree did? No. I don't think any man experiences the same grief that their, their wife or, or partner who gave birth to that child would have. There's, there's obviously a, a deeper bond, you know, you know a, a physical and emotional bond that a woman has with a child. Like, you know, that's my mind. Maybe I'm wrong. That's just my thought. But, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, you know, I see the pain. With her, even to this day, sometimes you know it, it, it pops up. But you know, Cherie is a, a very strong person. She was, you know, overwhelmingly you know focused on what needed to be done. Now, yeah, I'm grieving, but my gosh, at the time she was a, she was three years old, not much bigger than that, right there. You know? <laughs> and uh, so we, hey, we not only had to focus on the grief, but there's a an additional responsibility that came into our lives. You know, with with Alara, which uh, which again, it wasn't going to go any other way. You know, right. she's she's she was going to be with us regardless out there, and uh, and her birth father uh, is uh, he. The birth father is also a Nicholas. He's not involved in her life. He hasn't seen her in six years. But uh, it is you know the best thing for her, and and she is flourishing. She's a. She's in uh she's going into first grade this year. She was a November baby, so she was a year behind. But uh, she's in Spanish immersion classes in the private. Wow, classroom. already,
0: huh?
1: Oh my God, she comes home speaking Spanish, and I'm telling her, I don't understand a word you're saying. Alara. <laughs> and, uh, and Alara, you, you talk about Alara. It, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I'd never heard of Alara. And uh, and Jessica loved the planets and things such as that. And, and Alara is apparently one of Jupiter's moons.
0: Well, oh, so I didn't know
1: she, that either. I didn't either. But when she was seeking a name, you know, when she was having having the little monster, you know, <laughs> she came across Alara, <laughs> and then then she came across her but her middle name is Sage. So Alara Sage, oh. which I think is beautiful. And, That's uh, so nice. Yeah, but you know, uh, we've progressed. Now it's been. Uh, it's been three and a half years. Uh,
0: so so then Alara was like three and a half at the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, she was born in November. She had just turned three in November. And uh, Jessica died two, two months later. And
0: uh, How did she deal with this? Like, was she aware of what was happening? Do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah she did. And I, I don't know to what level as a three-year-old, but she knew mommy. And, and uh, she thought Nicholas... Uh, her boyfriend, they had been together for going on two years or whatever. So he was really the man figure in her life, and uh, sort of the, and the dad figure to her. But she uh, she just looked at it. You know, uh, Sharid explained to her that you know, mommy, mommy got sick essentially, and she's she she passed away. She died. And uh, Alara looked at it and uh, just said, "Then oh, the, the mommy's on the moon then." So <laughs> well, every time that, you know, when the moon came up, she'd look at the moon and say, well, the mommy's up there on the moon, you know, uh-huh. know. but she's, um, we were, we're in the position of, you know, she's never, you know, we're not going to hide anything from her. Sure. You know, eventually someday she'll understand the nature of what happened and everything like that. Uh, she, she remembers her mom, uh, her, you know, Jessica's pictures all over the house. There's, there's remembrances of her everywhere. And we don't hide it. She talks about mom and uh, all the time. And and uh, I, I think it's just become uh, a normalcy for her. I, imagine. I don't know how else to articulate it, but that's her so That's
0: is, so good. Mom, isn't
1: isn't mom just isn't there, and she recognizes that. And her mother figure now is Cherie is and Mimi. You know, and it's all about Mimi, 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 Mimi. Mimi. <laughs> It, it's funny because, and I think I created that monster work because I'm Pop Pop, and uh, and I'll always talk about, uh, you know, boy, I sure missed you, and I'm I'm sure glad you love Pop Pop so much. And she goes, I don't love you. What I love, Mimi. I said, well, Why don't you love Pop Pop? Because I love Mimi. <laughs> she just, she think thinks I it's like one that. or the other. Oh, she's just carried it on though, and uh, but you know at the end. And, and, and it means that uh, she loves me. She, I know that. and uh, she just, She's just not going to say it. And, uh, <laughs> uh, no, she's, um, again, that's, uh, that's the foundation that keeps us going. I, I don't know what, what I would be without her. And I don't know where Sheree and I would be uh, without her. You know, uh, I don't know of a lot of marriages that survived the death of a child.
0: No, there aren't many.
1: No, there aren't. And they, it takes a
0: lot of work to keep that together.
1: Oh, it is, and and uh, Cherie is, uh, you know, she's she's got her help from a she has a counselor that she talks to when she needs to, and and uh, she I, uh, Cherie is just, you know, one of the strongest women I've ever seen, and to to be able to not overcome it, she'll never overcome Jessica's death, sure. but to deal with it on a daily basis and have you know, that bit of normalcy in her life that she can, Um, you know, to me, it's amazing. And I I don't know how she does it. I've told, uh, I I give classes now, and you know, from a family perspective, you know, you know how cops are, you know, a lot of, I don't know if you know any police officers or things. Oh, yes.
0: Yes. And many homicide detectives.
1: Yeah, we're pretty much control freaks and and things like that. (laughs) You know, we want things going our way. And if they don't go our way, we, you know we immerse ourselves in a pity party and, and get mad and <laughs> uh, uh, but I when I give classes to police officers I, I use myself as an example and I say look guys this job you could quit tomorrow or something could happen you're not going to be there tomorrow uh, nobody's gonna remember you eventually okay don't do what I did I, I one of the biggest regrets I have you know, in my life is selling my family down the river for the job. You know, the job was always there. Well, I've got this to do. I've got this to do. This is important. That is important. Well, when does the family become important? You know, the the family should be the focus. And not that it has anything to do with anything other than, fact. I guess that's my regret. And and, uh, one of the things I do to try to, you know, to work through my own guilt and woulda, coulda, shoulda, Sure. And how I deal with my grief. But, uh, you know, and in dealing with grief, I I, I do a lot of that woulda, coulda, shoulda. And, of course, Dr. Cherie says, well, you know, my counselor says, don't even, why go there? Right. Because there's nothing you can do about it now. Jessica's gone. What you think you should have done when she was alive means nothing other than driving yourself crazy, you know? And I, and I look at it and I think, well that's pretty smart, you know, coming from you and you and she's a blonde too. So, <laughs> yeah, but no, it is. And it, it's very astute advice. There's nothing I can do. And by mm. by continually doing that, I'm beating myself up and uh, doing nothing but emotional harm to me. So again, you know, it's, uh, it took about a year, um, uh, but we, we uh, traveled. I think she died in January. I think it was uh, October of that year that uh, I traveled to uh, Columbus, Ohio, at the invitation of uh, uh, Michael Gray, who you interviewed up here most recently. And, and, and such a brilliant man, and uh, he's he's got this issue down to uh, to a science, and he'll yeah. tell you that too. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, and he's got a, he has a really good plan for. Uh, educating people nationwide
1: which is which really
0: needs to be done
1: well and and that's what we started after we you know we we attended this uh this meeting of bereaved families you know and you know ended up meeting uh you know who was then the ondcp chairman at that that particular time under the trump administration he was there uh you know the the god darn bishop from uh you know in Columbus, Ohio, was there, he, you know, he blessed and gave us a prayer and things like that. And I think, wow. And so, you know, we met Michael Gray along with about 20 other families. And myself, Matt Capilouto, Amy Neville, and Jaime Puerta, you know, sort of became a, this little group from California and uh, <clears throat> started focusing on the advocacy portion of, of where we were going. And uh, in June of 2021, um, Void was formed uh, by us, you know, victims of illicit drugs, um, with the, the whole message being, you know, we're not going to arrest our way out of this situation, you know, uh, you, you, you're not going to put everybody in prison, you know, to, and so we look at it from a, a, a triangle, you know, three sides. One side is what we focus on, which is education and awareness, and I'm, I don't care what anybody says. I think knowledge is power and knowledge of what fentanyl is all about is going to be what is going to sway or have people think twice before they they do something either experimenting with totally drugs
0: agree or, or, totally or, agree.
1: Or <laughs> education and awareness you know that that second part of the triangle is is the uh you know the uh, interdiction and in prosecution the, the law enforcement side of things you know we need that you know people and particularly people that provide drugs that result in the death they need a consequence Yes, uh, absolutely. Our well, our, our country's evolved into something of, we don't have consequences anymore. We have a lot of goddamn excuses, but nobody's held accountable virtually anymore. But in the in the position of a death, I think that a person needs to be held accountable. And, uh, and then that third portion of the triangle is, is treatment. And, uh, you know, we, we've got to come up with some method of treating, you know, uh, those people that have fallen into the, that rabbit hole of addiction and things like that. And uh, and go from there. Hopefully, we can avoid people getting to that addiction level with fentanyl and keep them alive through our awareness efforts. And again, that's what we focus on. A few months ago, we thought, you know, light bulb came on, and I was happy to hear Michael Gray say the same thing. You know, so it's perfect that we're on the same page, and being on the same page is associated with experimentation. You just can't experiment with drugs anymore. You know, back in the, I'm a, I'm a, we're both a child of the 60s, 60s and 70s, you know, and, and what did you do back then? Most people, you know, were smoking weed or whatever. And, uh, you know, what was the other, day? acid, you know, became yes. something, you know, back in the San Francisco, I hate Ashbury's day, you know, peace, yeah. love, you all that.
0: Yeah, all that. the LSD tabs. Yeah,
1: you know, Timothy Larry, when he created that. And, you know, it, there wasn't much more. And then, you know, other other than, uh, you know, the, the real serious problem associated with uh, with opiate addiction, with heroin and things such as that. Uh, but other than that, that was it. You move forward 50 years and, you know, back around 2013 when, you know, when that new paradigm came into play and, and now up to this particular point to where I, I think Michael cited the, the fact that, uh, as of about 2020, you're not going to be able to have anything that is probably not tainted with fentanyl. Yes. And, uh, and I, I said is- to,
0: I agree with you. And I had, I had said that I had said to Michael, the days of ex- drug experimentation are over.
1: You can't. And it, exactly. And you know, that's, it, it's sad
0: for the kids now because they think it sh- they should have that option like we did, but they can't.
1: Well, no, you can't, you know, it. it What's the old cliche we use? You know, if you don't get your pill or your medication from your doctor or a pharmacist, here in the United States a pharmacy, you know, pharmacy, you can't use it. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, there's just too much. You know, you're, you know, Amy Neville describes it as pill roulette. You're absolutely right. DEA statistics, they're saying 60% of the pills out there are tainted to a level that has that two milligram plus amount of fentanyl in it which that two milligram plus is going to be fatal, you know, six out of 10, well, lay out six pills, you know, lay out 10 pills there, which six are the bad ones and which four are the good ones? That's the problem
0: you don't know.
1: No, you don't. Back to the education and awareness. I still think that only the most effective method of harm reduction is knowledge. And you give people that knowledge And uh, we go from there. You know, we we talked about, you know, what happened in 2020, the old pandemic, okay? Well, how far far are you supposed to stay away from somebody? What's the answer? Six Six feet. Wasn't that it? And what are you supposed to have on your face?
0: A mask.
1: A muzzle, okay? Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: You're supposed to, my point is, that education and awareness was ingrained into the American public. You have to wear a mask and you have to stay six feet away from people so that you don't become infected with this terrible disease. Okay, that's great. Well, where's the education and awareness that that's common knowledge that people have to stay away from fentanyl, that this illicit fentanyl is out there? What's the difference? COVID was killing people. Well, fentanyl is killing, you know, how many, you know, hundreds hundreds of thousands, thousands, you know, since 2013, you know, there's a lot of people that are dying from it. How many people don't know about it? Again, the big deception. You know, Jessica and Nicholas wanted to celebrate Nicholas's birthday that was coming up in a couple of days, so they ordered up some cocaine. Am I happy about that? <laughs> no, of course not. I, I wouldn't agree to that. But they ordered cocaine. They didn't order fentanyl. And right. they had no idea that fentanyl was going to be in it. You know, and but for fentanyl, Jessica would still be here and I'd be able to deal with that problem that she may have had you know by getting her treatment it's you know some family interdiction or something that but fentanyl robbed me of that opportunity but for fentanyl she would still be alive but for fentanyl hundreds of thousands of people would still be alive you know i don't know how you know we we talk the statistic now is one person every five minutes is dying somewhere in our country as a result of fentanyl toxicity wow those people were duped you know, you're being deceived. They're being deceived to death. Yes, they're, they're receiving deceived.
0: receiving all kinds of counterfeits.
1: Right. Well, and and being deceived, you're being what? You're poisoned. And in being poisoned, then you're being murdered. You know, you you can't. And they we talk about overdose, and Michael hit on it too. You you can't overdose on something you don't know you're not you know you're taking. You, you know, Jessica wouldn't have overdosed and died on you know a line of cocaine. No, that wouldn't killed her. Jessica wouldn't have died by taking a uh, uh, an Oxycontin pill that she thought was legitimate and had no idea that would, there would have been any fentanyl in it. Yeah. Every kid in, in the world, you know, most of these kids, are, you know, the, uh, the biggest um, risk they have now is from counterfeits, from fake pills that are being sold out there. That's what the message has to be. And, uh, you know, the, again, that education, awareness, to me, is the most effective level of harm reduction. Yeah, we can get into mal- naloxone, we get into test strips, and all that other crazy stuff. But what is naloxone? I just don't want naloxone and you know fentanyl test strips to become a panacea for what people would feel to be safe drug usage. Right. There is no safe way to take fentanyl. There's no safe way. Okay. And uh, it's like they, you know, with fentanyl test strips. You know, and you, and you've heard the old, you know. Thing about how do you, and I always ask people, how are you going to test that pill? And they'll say, Well, I'm, I'm going to chip off a piece of it and we'll test it. And if there's no if it comes back, no fentanyl, then the pill's you know right to take. Well, be, I'm, except-, I'm, except for that chocolate chip cookie effect. You know, you know, when you have a chocolate chip cookie, is there a chocolate chips everywhere in that pill? No, and in, in that in the cookie, I mean, no, there isn't. No, it's just the same thing in a in a, you know, in a fake pill. There's not fentanyl in every piece of that pill, so who says you cut off a piece that didn't have a fentanyl in it? That's and right, you, like, and you can't possibly.
0: It. And most people don't even know that part of it. Exactly. Do you well, know what I mean?
1: Well, the only you know, it's my my understanding. The only way to use a fentanyl test strip with a with a pill is to you know crush it completely, liquefy it, and then test it. Okay, well then, how are you going to use it? I don't
0: know. <laughs> yes. Oh
1: my! But if we work under the premise, Mary, when, when people talk about these fake pills, and every fake pill, if you don't get it from your doctor or a pharmacy, it's fake. It contains fentanyl. The only question is how much fentanyl. Well, if we're going to work under the premise that 100% of the pills out there, not bought from your doctor or a pharmacy, are fake, what are you testing for? Why would you even test the damn thing? There's nothing in it that's a legitimate pharmaceutical. It's just a base filler and fentanyl. So what are you going to test it for? That's a good point.
0: (laughs) It's a good point. Even though they look like it, even though they might look like an oxycodone, you know, or they might look like a Percocet or whatever.
1: Or the Xanax or the Apple. Yeah. Yeah. The bottom line is everything out there that you don't buy legitimately is fake. So why test a fake pill? To me, it's lunacy. And it's just another diversion away from, you know, what the big problem is, knowledge. We have to educate the public. They have to become aware of the fact of fentanyl's existence as much as they became aware of the fact that we're a friggin' muzzle on your face and stay six feet away from people. Knowledge about fentanyl has to be as common as that. And until that happens, we're still going to experience this level of death and escalating.
0: So. and what's really sad too I believe it's not just the education it's getting young people into the mindset mm. you know like um, they can know this but right. do they have enough strength to say no we can't do that you know no that's not for me
1: well again I don't, we've had kids tell us well, my dealer would never do that to me you know my friend gave it to me you know uh, the, the athlete playing football that twists his knee—he's in such pain and his buddy in the locker room says, hey, my dog, you know, take one of these. he will make it. It'll feel better. Well, right. it's coming from my friend. My friend wouldn't do that to me. My friend's not going to give me something that's going to hurt me. So right. they feel it's legitimate. No, you can't. And again, you have to pound it into people's heads, particularly our kids. If it doesn't come from a doctor or pharmacy, don't take the damn thing.
0: Because yeah. your friend who got it, he doesn't know it's in it either.
1: It. Right. You know, so but and even if it was a legitimate pill, don't take it anyway. You're not prescribed to you. you get into that frame of mind. Yeah. You know. If you need help with pain, go see your friggin' doctor. They <laughs> don't something for you, probably.
0: Yeah, don't try to self-medicate.
1: <clears throat> no. You know, and, and COVID and everything, with people with emotional issues and things like that. We've become a pill country. You know, we we become a country of medication. Instead of working it out, instead of doing whatever, well, here, take this pill; it'll make you feel better. Okay. Well, we, hopefully, someday we'll get away from that type of attitude and and understand that not everybody needs a drug to cure their ills. Yes. You know, I don't. I don't. You know, I When I'm sad or if I'm mad or whatever. Uh, Give me that anti-mad pill, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I need something to take me out of my depression. You you think it out. You try to do something instead of looking for some type of pharmaceutical answer to your problem.
0: Well, I'm a big proponent of uh, homeopathics. Uh And uh, they've helped me a great deal in my adult life. And I'm grateful for them because... Uh, When I've had, um, I had an accident many years ago and um, I have pins all over from flying off the back of a motorcycle. It was the homeopathic medicines that really, really contained the difficulties I was having. I mean, pain, like just trying to turn me over to Mm -hmm. change the sheets was like, uh, I mean, agony. And so I used homeopathics that help with nerve pain on a high, on a high dose, you know, and, and others for the shock of my body when I hit the pavement and, you know, there's so many, and, and even, they even have one that knits together bones and tissues and it's amazing. Yes. And I healed so much faster because of, of all of that. And so I, you know, I'm an advocate for homeopathics and to learn what it's all about and what it can do for you and go to a, a really good doctor, a homeopathic doctor who knows their stuff. And, um, yeah,
1: most people don't even know what homeopathy is.
0: No, they don't.
1: They they should look into it because there are alternatives. Yeah. And it's
0: different than naturopathy, you know? It's homeopathy and there oh, was a time years ago, you know, over a, a century ago when we had homeopathic hospitals in this country yeah. and the AMA, you know, kept pushing everybody away because they wanted you to go on pharmaceuticals. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, well, they may not have but the pharmaceutical companies wanted you to, mm-hmm. which I just, I, you know, I drove myself crazy and I watched dope sick once again last week and then there's this new one called uh, painkiller that Netflix put out. And it's another spin on the sacklers, but if you want to really get pissed off, watch that one too. But,
0: oh, I saw the I saw the uh, coming attractions of it.
1: Yeah, it, it, it was it,
0: a lot about oxycontin. Yep,
1: yeah. it, it's all about the sacklers again. The, oh you
0: know, my goodness, I but,
1: so well, you know you know again you got to get back down to we we got to learn how to treat the problem too with addiction when it comes to that because yeah you know, the stigma of addiction I think is one of the obstacles too us attacking this problem yes you know, we, when we first started our advocacy we we traveled to the uh each southern california sheriff each county in southern california we started at riverside went to san Bernardino, orange county and we talked about our issues and we spoke of the necessity for law enforcement you got to change your thoughts and you got to change the narrative that you're looking at these as just another drug addict that died Right. Because they decided they they chose to take a drug and sadly they died. Well, then you started explaining, you know, uh, you get into the new paradigm. And yeah, that's the old paradigm is that, you know, the drug addict with the heroin and everything eventually dying in the new paradigm involving fentanyl. And you, you have to show them to where. It's not an overdose with people just dying. It's, you know, when you get down to the deception, the poisoning and all that other type of stuff. And. Law enforcement in Southern California, and I think throughout the nation, there's, they've got it now. Except, I don't know how they're going to deal with it because, you know, everybody, you know, each one needs to be investigated like a murder. Well, they, you don't have the resources that I'm aware of. I right. you know, If you had 60 people that died in the city of San Bernardino last year because of fentanyl poisoning, you're going to handle each one of those as a homicide. That's that's an additional 60 investigative teams that are gonna have to roll out and do their work. Right, 60 new
0: cases in one year is a big deal.
1: It's a very big deal, particularly when it comes to murders, you know, and homicide. uh, There's a lot of, you know, methodical uh, processes that come into play when you're investigating murders. Yes. No, we just don't have the resources because you still got the same murders that are going on too. And you just got the same crimes that are going on. Again, back to education and awareness. We have to get people's knowledge up, and people to, to, you know, yeah, Nancy Reagan, just say no. Well, that's that's corny, that was corny back then, but it's friggin' true now, isn't it? You know, I'm not going to go out and say, just say no, and, you know, people, but it's very true when it comes to that. You have to say no at this particular time, because fentanyl changed the narrative, and fentanyl changes everything, so.
0: And we have to chill, teach our children as they're growing up perseverance yeah. and self-worth, Yes, yes. you know, yes. all the, all the emotional tags that a person needs to have enough strength to realize this is not good for me, no. you know, and and they might know everything about the drug and that it could kill you, but do they have that kind of perseverance? Do they have that kind of, you know, to stay away from those folks, to stay away from that possibility. You know,
1: like, you know that, that, that first person that, you know, the, the poor addict when they, you know, why, why are people using drugs? Number one, you want to change your your emotion, you want to help, you want to feel high. Okay, yeah. well, yeah. once you become addicted, you're not you're not trying to be, deal with being high anymore. You're trying to deal with you being friggin' sick every morning when you get up and sick throughout the day. So you're not treating an addiction, you're treating a sickness. Yeah. I, I take care of that sickness by going out and finding that drug of choice that brings me down and levels me off for that period of time. Then when that wears off, I got to go find another kid, You know, but it's horrible. It's it's like the schools. I'm working. I work at a charter school here in San Bernardino. And uh, what grades? High school. Uh, six through twelve. Okay. Yeah. They, you know, we only have just about 400 students, and we teach the fentanyl awareness to them. We uh, they've seen dead on arrival. They've, they've heard my story. They've heard Jaime's story, Amy's story. Matt Capilouto came up here when we were still working together. And he, and it, it's a resounding message to them, and they get it. But there's all – go to a public school and, you know, what happens when, uh, oh, your kid's not paying attention. He's not doing his work. He seems bored. Well, what does he have? Oh, he must have attention deficit. He's ADHD. So what do you want to do? Well, we need to get him some help with that oh, here, take this Adderall, take this Ritalin, take this Ritalin. take this, that, and the other. Why don't we just start teaching ways for kids that here's what you have to do. Here's part of your responsibility. We got to study. We got to do this. We got to do that. We got to get away from this friggin' medication society that we've had. Yes. And that's, that's not going to happen. I'm, uh, I'll be 70 next year. I always tell people I'm in my last trimester. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 tell, you know, I joke that I, I tell God sometimes I go to bed and I look up and I say, okay, God, I'm ready. Go ahead and take me. And then I wake up the next morning and I thought, damn. You know,
0: <laughs> it's not my time yet.
1: No, it's not. And I, and I, I and I joke about that. I got to stick around at least another, you know, 10, 11 years. Cause I got to take a lot to her prom. Uh, whether she wants me to or not <laughs> to, or and, but that that's what it's all about that's what it's all about Mary and uh you know where we miss Jessica every day we think about her every day. I wake up and there's you know a framed picture of her sitting right there and she's staring down at me and, and uh you know throughout the day you think about her you know and but you know that you have to move forward and uh Cherie deals with her grief in her way. I deal with my grief in my way, and uh, the biggest way that I deal with it is advocacy and uh, trying to spread that message, and And I tell people, you know, we it, uh, it takes about 50 minutes for our presentation. We give a 21-minute documentary. People watch that on arrival. We'll show a PowerPoint if we want to, but typically, I just want to go right into that Q&A session with people. And, yeah. Uh, and you open it up for questions and, and i explain to them there's nothing you're not going to shame me you're not going to hurt my feelings and uh, as a matter of fact this advocacy and jessica's death is her legacy uh, her legacy is saving lives and i don't want anybody else to have to you know go through what my wife did by walking into their children's home and finding them dead or going to your bedroom in the morning and finding your child dead it, it, it's just it's just something that you can't even, you know, consciously uh, digest having to experience. But every five minutes somewhere in our country, somebody's doing it.
0: And the sad part is that we're not supposed to bury our children. Nope.
1: no. They're no. supposed to,
0: we're supposed to go before them. And yeah. that, that whole thinking is hard. It's really hard to digest that part.
1: Right. But... Uh, again, yeah, but, but, but it did happen and uh, life doesn't stop and uh, you, you have to learn how to uh, work through it, deal with it and uh, yeah. move yeah. forward. Sounds pretty simple, but it's not, but <laughs> you have to or I'll end up in a freaking loony bin.
0: Yes, exactly. And I admire, you know, you doing all you can to teach others because At least it gives meaning to this horrible situation you know at least you feel like you're making a difference in somebody else's life who hopefully could be saved from your help your words your direction your guidance you
1: know yeah and 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 it's the education i i don't the presentation I, i don't even talk a lot about jessica in our presentations you know i'm I I try to move beyond that grief, you know, those stages of grief, you know, I float between anger and, you know, denial, and and I, okay, most of the time I'm pissed off, because Uh (laughs) I want want something to happen. Uh, It's wonderful for people to say this, that, and the other, but I also don't want to uh, have to endure people always saying, you know, our condolences for your loss. Well, I thank you very much. Now, just look instead of giving, share your condolences by doing what we're trying to tell you to do. Right. Pass this message so nobody else gets dead.
0: Yeah. And also, too, um, with the stages of grief. You know, those stages were made uh, specifically for people who were dying. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. So the stages, those same stages for a bereaved person is like a roller coaster. Sometimes I feel this one. Sometimes I feel that one. Oh,
1: yeah. Like I say, I I, I, anger, denial. (laughs) And uh, that's where I float most of the time. So, you know, but... Again, you, you just uh, you just move forward and not not try to focus on anything. Other well, than I... forward.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for all your advocacy work and in honor of Jessica and my best to you, Cherie, and the little one. Right. And she's very fortunate to have her grandparents with her. One day she'll understand that better.
1: <laughs> We're fortunate to have her that's, that's
0: yeah.
1: And thank you for your work. And everything that you're thank doing you. trying to get this out and and, uh, and keep staying awake at two in the morning you'll see yourself on youtube again so
0: <laughs> that was really a surprise
1: that's awesome that's a good deal <laughs> no, thank you too mary i appreciate everything and if there's anything we can ever do for you you know how to get a hold of us and we'd be more than willing to do it
0: Thank you, Steve, so much. And I just want to remind everybody, please go see the documentary Dead on Arrival. You can go to stopthevoid.org, stopthevoid.org. And as for me, it really helps us in the algorithms. If you would subscribe, like, and share, tell us your comments on what you heard and what you've learned. And we'll see you again on the next episode. Have a great day. Bye-bye, Mary. Bye. Bye.